Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise. Join Will Tondo and Jake Zimmer every week as we dive into interviews with leaders in the craft beer, business news, and sports entertainment world. This podcast wouldn't be here without Spotify. Get to know Spotify for podcasters, the free all-in-one podcast platform for every creator. This tool allows you to publish shows to all major platforms and helps turn your passions into careers. To find out more, head over to podcasters.spotify.com. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code BBB for all wager incentives. That's code BBB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hope is here. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org if you have any issues. Play it smart from the start with GameSense. Now, here's our episode of Beers, Business, and Balls. Business and Balls presented by House Enterprise, brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code HOUSE to check out. Get 20% off your order and free shipping around the world. This is episode... Oh, and DraftKings, too. Don't forget about DraftKings. Uh, use the code BBB. Get some bonus bets for yourself. Uh, you will be enjoying to the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the code BBB. You will get some bonus bets. This is episode 132, and New York is quite literally on fire. I don't know about you. Here in Boston, a couple, actually, this was Tuesday, so two days ago by the time we published this, it was on the 27th floor of my office building. That shit looked apocalyptic, but it was nothing compared to what's going on in New York right now. It looks fucking scary. Yeah, in Providence that on Tuesday morning when I went outside, I thought my allergies like clouded my vision. Like it was it was hazy with like a slight tint, but it wasn't anything crazy. And then a quick Google search was just like, oh yeah, Canadian wildfires. And I'm like, okay, that happens. That's happened before. New York was zombie land. I mean, I saw there was one tweet that got me was like, who put the... Uh, movie mexico filter on new york how like every <laughs> how every movie that like it could be like fast and furious or whatever but they're just like mexico and it's just a yellow tint i'm like that was funny um there was some like star wars references there was godzilla on the skyline there was some there was some good ones but the snapchats and and instagram posts of people that i know in new york that were posting stuff and then seeing yankee stadium and like city field like that were crazy. I mean, it was something where it's like the worst air quality in the world was New York City. And it was the equivalent of like smoking six cigarettes. <laughs> I know. So bad. A bad radio, but I just sent you a picture. Um, and it's in our Slack. Uh, my sister took that today. So shout out, Emily. That's um, that was from New York City today. And it is, I mean, it looks like Mars. I mean, that's a looks stuff like Mars or something. That's something where it's like, you you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm about to have a great day. 
and you pick out your window and it looks like a, a nuclear wasteland. <laughs> like imagine yeah. someone waking up from a coma or a surgery the night before. And then like the first thing you see out of your hospital window is just this bright orange haze. I don't know what I would do. I'd be like, put me the fuck back into this thing. That's walking dead shit. I think, so you, it was a, the Mexico filter that you said, I think the best one I saw was like, God, is everyone using the sepia filter today? Yeah. Remember like when Instagram first came out where they had that filter like 2012, 2013, like where you made it look classical. Like that's what all this shit looks like. Yeah. And the like, that's the crazy part is like, none of this is filtered at all. Like you don't even have to, to like make the dramatic effect. Like when I was taking photos on Tuesday, I like popped around the, uh, like the Providence skyline and I was like playing with tints a little bit, but I couldn't get that yellow. And then New York comes around. They're like, watch this. This is no filter. And it's, it's, it's insane. So I don't know. What's so weird is that even with the air quality in Canada being what it was, it didn't touch what it currently is in New York. kind of crazy to think about that i don't get the science behind or like the meteorology behind how that all brushed to new york and missed like boston and providence like that i don't know i i would just assume that it's closer um and then the fact that it's just straight yellow i don't know i guess you could put your tinfoil hats on and get a little conspiracy theory that everyone's focusing on new york what's happening on the out like something else is happening because you know what what was the news drop a couple days ago that there was like that whistleblower with the aliens? Oh, I didn't see. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, there's like some whistleblower saying that like UFOs, they obviously they, like the whole alien talk's been like, you know, coming up. But I guess like the government knows about UFOs and then supposedly the extra, the um, the aliens can retract the UFOs. And that happened. On like, oh, I saw, I did see something. That, that happened on like Monday or Tuesday. So people were like, "Oh, you know, what's the government hiding?" And what comes around? New York smog. Well, some sucker I am because I fell for it. Um, another theory is that we are uh, we are living in the upside down. That's it too. I mean, another theory is: <laughs> Do you even know that CP three is getting got waived? don't let the smog in new york city distract you from the fact that chris paul is getting cut from the phoenix suns that was that was a random my timeline on twitter was like new york skyline orange new york like yankee game chris paul chris paul wade new york orange like no one's Uh, talking about it yeah just silver trying to bury the news you know he had to call his friends up in uh, nova scotia you know makes you get think. the fires burning called in a favor it's weird weird time. interesting yeah the the trends were i weirdly probably trending on twitter today i'm not i couldn't figure out why what uh, was not really sure providence i don't i mean that's another thing the twitter algorithm is just all messed up I don't know. Maybe it was just for me. Yeah. There wasn't that much news like in the Providence and or Rhode Island news cycle in general. It was kind of slow. So I don't know. Uh, shout out Sam Knox. He made the news. Um, WPRI weekend sports anchor. That was the only piece of Providence news I was able to gather from that, though. That's all I got. 
Yeah, what's and on my Sam's mind? a tremendous dude. He's uh we he's around at all the the Providence events. So big shout out Sam. Hopefully he's listening. Um, but yeah, there there was a lot of stuff getting buried. Well, I mean, the other one was the whole Zion thing. Did you see that? I have no idea what happened with Zion. So no. Zion just announced that he's having a baby with, I presume, his girlfriend. There's this girl that's coming out with like screenshots of like dirty snapchats and like just saying how zion you were with me last week saying you were going to fly me to new orleans when you were hitting it from behind and stuff like that like it was getting a little very rated ma it was getting and all this stuff where like zion just announced that he's having a like a, a daughter and this one girl was just like uh-uh uh, here are the receipts that Holy got shit yeah um why is gary sanchez trending he homered again. I'm, oh, lovely. I, I'm just shocked that, yeah, this Zion thing is pretty, uh, wow, the porn star alleges, quote unquote, he better pray I'm not pregnant. Wow. What the fuck? That's insane. Zion Williamson, huh? Who thought? Hey, you. He came up in the news cycle like a few weeks ago where people were saying, is he going to be a uh, like this tremendous bust, right? Like, well, where does he go down in the NBA draft busts? Because it, we're getting close to draft season. It'll be a couple weeks. But yeah, I mean, he, he's got potential to be probably top 10 at this rate. I think it's worse because he already got paid. Yeah, that's what makes it bad. You no, know, it's like when he's healthy, he's an all-star and like should be one of the league star like stars of the league, but and again, I I think what's most frustrating about that draft is like the disrespect that RJ Barrett gets at 3, where it's like Zion Williamson can't sniff the court the past 2 years. John Morant's not playing. <laughs> That's another thing. Well, if he yeah, if he wasn't involved in his other shit, then but that he still would counts. Be, that would be like the best pick of all time. That that still counts because it's like, would you rather have a solid guy who who showed up in the playoffs and is only getting better? He's like twenty three. He's so young, raw, and talented. Or John Morant, who's like a megastar, but now has all these off off the feet off the court issues. His team is trying to say, which was like a week later. Oh no, it's a toy gun. That's bullshit. That ain't a toy gun. That is. I'm We're gonna... still waiting for his uh, suspension announcement, right? I think Silver said he would do it after the finals. After the finals, it's got to. I mean, now they're they're saying it's like thirty games. If it's thirty games, that's not enough. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It needs to be a year, and we've discussed that. It's like Arena's got a year. Give him a year. Um. Well, before we go into beers, I want to this NBA bus draft or this NBA draft bus list is pretty interesting. I would say like Mount Rushmore right now. I mean, Darko Milicic is still like, he is what I think just historically there, people will always say he's the biggest bus because he was 2003. LeBron was in front of him. So you look at the stark contrast they had, it's like, you pick fucking Darko Milicic when you could have had so many other guys like Carmelo and and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were there and you pick Darko Milicic. Like, that sucks. I would say Anthony Bennett, who's more recent for you and I. Um, that one, I think, will haunt everybody. 
I would say Zion's up there, and then I would say probably somebody like um, like Kwame Brown potentially. I'm not ready to say Greg Oden was this big bust because I, I I don't know. I like Greg Oden. Maybe it's bias, but so I just asked Chat uh, Chat GBT on who. Oh, the, no. um, yeah, so the NBA has seen. I said biggest NBA draft busts. He goes, the NBA has seen its fair share of draft busts throughout history. While it's subjective to define the biggest bust, here are some notable examples based on high draft positions and lack of success in order. One, Kwame Brown. Um, yeah. Meet expectations as top picked, had a disappointing career and failed to live up the hype. Two, Darko Milicic um, yeah. got drafted after LeBron, despite and um, ahead of future stars, Camelo, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Maid. You wow, know, I did good with that. <laughs> but the question is, though, I mean, he did win a ring. He did win a ring. Who, Darko? Yeah, with the with the Pistons. Holy shit! So I mean, but again, how many rings they would have had with Carmelo? Oh, right, that's the thing. Or um, D Wade. Yeah, number three, Greg Oden. Number four, yeah. Hashim, Hashim uh, Tabit. No, Tabit's um, an interesting one. I then, I get that because he was supposed to be really really good. He was a phenomenal UConn. Mm-hmm. And then number five, Anthony Bennett. It's yeah, I note that labeling a player as a bust is not a f- reflection of their talent or ability outside of the NBA. Many of these players <laughs> were highly successful in college or other professional leagues, but failed to tr- transition their skills to the NBA lo- level. Thank you. Yeah, Chat. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Chat GPT. That's. Uh, uh, th- I thought. They, I thought Chat GPT was going to come out and say like, "Oh no, it's not an indication of their character." And again, I'm not ready for the AI conversation yet, but it's coming. That's definitely going to have to be a summer episode. This is what I love AI about. Give me stuff like this. Just give me who are the worst draft busts in the history of the NBA and let's embrace debate. I don't need them taking over the world or taking people's jobs. Just give me an opinion. We good idea because slow news cycles. Now, granted, today is not fucking slow. Um, we, we can literally just fire it up. I like that. You know, that's what we're going to do in the summer. I'm just making this decision for both of us here. If if it's slow and like baseball's kind of dragging and there's not a lot of football news or we'll go ask the AI to give us an on the spot uh, debate question. Yeah. And, and then we can bring in an AI expert after that. Yeah. Pros and cons of AI. Pros and cons or we we trick the ai into debating its own pros and cons that'd be interesting i'm not ready for that either whack i'm not ready i'm not ready (laughs) oh god we have a uh a great guest for our beer segment this week um not just beers but there's some spirits involved some liquors all that good stuff we have Derek correa from reserve bar uh, super cool concept, by the way. I did a lot of research uh, before and after, and uh, we'll let Derek tell you about what Reserve Bar does, um, how they're solving problems, how they can make your life better. You ever on the beach, need more beer? What if you could do that? Uh, what if you want to? What if you see this cool bottle of bourbon? You want to buy it for your friend? It's pretty hard to do that now. So Derek talks about how they're solving that. Um, talk a little bit about the Yankees. Talk a little bit about about a bunch of stuff. So let's get into our beer segment. It touches some business, of course, too, but here's Derek Correa. 
All right, everybody, with us this week, we're joined by uh, Derek Correa, the president of Reserve Bar. Reserve Bar is the leading e-commerce platform for premium and luxury beverage alcohol. Uh, Derek, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to talk about yourself. We'll, we'll dive into some Yankee stuff now at the end and, of course, Reserve Bar. But first and foremost, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Uh, I love the name. You asked me before we started if I had any questions, and it's like, beer business and balls no i think i'm i'm ready to have a conversation about any right, you know all. you know exactly what you're getting into here there's no surprises it's uh yeah i think is our description still the name explains itself on spotify it itself exactly i mean <laughs> doesn't require a lot of fun well, the, the, ball, the balls part has to have proper context people might yes. you know could misunderstand that one but i think i know what we're talking about well, we are brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, no free ads, but they obviously take care of us. So I guess it could be both ways. But sports entertainment is the main aspect. And uh, yeah, when we started this, there was no no sports to talk about except uh, Korean baseball. So we, we've come a long way. <laughs> you started it in the, in the pandemic. Yeah, that was that was a strange time. And even when sports came back, it was weird. I could never get I, I, but that whole like fake crowd noise thing and empty stadiums was just so weird for such a long time. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, especially now if we're getting into like the playoffs and stuff, the heat are back in the playoffs. And the last time they were there, they were in the bubble at Disney in front of nobody. It was uh, it's definitely weird to cover. But, you know, thankfully we're back. Um, so let's kick things off. Let's kick it off with obviously you. You're on the podcast. We'd love to learn more about yourself. So. You're a Binghamton graduate. Uh, you jumped around in the world of marketing and products right after you graduated. And, you know, during that time, you accumulated quite the resume before Reserve Bar. So director of product marketing at Pizza Hut, VP of product marketing at Burger King, uh, CMO at Renaissance Cruises. But before all of this growth in your professional career, what did you want to do when you were growing up and what were you hoping to accomplish? Uh, well, I know what I didn't want to do because when I, I had... 21 jobs by the time I was 21 and uh, 21 of them, all 21 of them pretty much sucked. So uh, I, I, I was able to, you know, I always wanted to work and I always wanted to earn money. And I started working, I think when I was like 11 or 12 working for my father who was in the construction and concrete business. So, you know, I, I learned about that business. And at the time I, you know, I, I didn't think it was so great because he didn't pay me. Um, and he told me, you know, someday you'll thank me that you, that you learned, you know, the value of a dollar and all this work. And oh, by the way, you'll learn stuff that will benefit you the rest of your life. And, and it did. I mean, I, you know, building houses from, from the foundation to the, to the roof um, was valuable. And he did, not that he didn't pay me, but at the end of every summer, I got something, right? Like one summer, at the end of the summer, I got a boom box. That was my uh, compensation for, for working all summer. But you know, during that time, I, you know, I, I knew I didn't want to do do that. I, I was in the restaurant business. I was in a lot of different businesses, grocery, et cetera, uh, manual labor stuff that high school kids get. Uh, but during that time, I, I grew an interest in business and in marketing in particular. So by the time I went to college, um, I was either going to go to a, a business school. Uh, there was part of me that thought about being a veterinarian because I was always uh, in, into animals and I thought I might do that. And then I was very close to going to Annapolis uh, to fr fly jets off of aircraft carriers, um, which I thought would be pretty cool as well. So I was kind of all over the place. Um, I was an entrepreneur as a teenager. A number of those jobs I had were, you know, my own businesses that I started, whether it was mowing lawns or shoveling driveways in the wintertime. 
um, or trucking, you know, junk to the to the dump and doing dump runs for people because I had a truck. So I always had a an entrepreneurial, um, you know, itch to scratch in my life too. So I, I got to that a little bit later in my uh, in my career after working for Fortune 500 companies and and different companies like that. Yeah, we were talking before we went on air, and you mentioned you've hopped around geographically too, like Dallas, Miami, you know, uh, in Westchester area now, but Connecticut, you spent time in Boston. Um, what what experience out of all these places uh, and and companies uh, did you think you learned the most from? I mean, you've done some cool stuff, as we mentioned. You led a a new product marketing team at Pizza Hut. You sort of did the same deal with Burger King. Um, what would you say was an experience that you look back on now and say, wow, I learned that at this stop. Uh, and that, that sort of stuck with me here. Yeah. Great question. I, I am one of those people that, you know, I am a lifelong learner. I'm a seeker. I, I, you know, I do a lot of things later. I learned to play guitar when I was 37 and joined the band. I, I started martial arts when I was 48 uh, and trained until I was a black belt. Right. Like, so my whole life, I'm always kind of like seeking. So every job I ever had, I really, you know, I only stayed when I thought I was learning and I learned something everywhere I ever was. Um, you know, Pizza Hut is a PepsiCo company. And then when it was spun off was a was a great learning environment. I worked with an, a, a number of amazing uh, people, a lot of talent that company acquired, a lot of know-how. Uh, they invested in training you in being a marketer and training you to be a leader and how to manage people, how to think strategically. So, so that was a wonderful place. And, and that was why I stayed there for so long. I was there almost seven years, one of the longest stops um, on my career path. Later on, when I was um, CEO of Source, which was a, a marketing services firm, we did everything from you know events, experiential, digital to advertising, um, and PR and, and so forth. And that's different. Like I learned a ton there too, but it wasn't, you know, you learn being a leader and making mistakes. And, um, you know, when you're at the top, you're learning too. And you're often learning from uh, most of the time from the people that work for you and, and from people that you work with, as opposed to more linear, you know, top down uh, specific education type things that the big companies offer. So you know, uh, anybody who has any kind of uh, opportunity to work, you know, at different places throughout their life should always be thinking about um, what am I learning while uh, while I'm here? And if you don't feel like you're learning, that's probably a pretty good moment to sort of reconsider uh, whether you still want to be there or not. And was there a job experience that would you say might have brought you a favorite memory or favorite experience that helped you? Uh, helped you to get you where you were today? Well, I mean, a lot of my favorite experiences were, you know, uh, colloquial and, and the fun that I had working with people who became great friends. Um, you know, all, at virtually all of my stops, I was privileged to work with with people who were smart and competent, but also a lot of fun. And that's really the, you know, when you work as much as, as so many of us do, I mean, I was always a 60 to 80 hour a week kind of uh, working person, um, th those people are you know, who you spend most of your life with, more so than your wife or your children or or the rest of your friends. So, a lot of my my favorite times were you know the yucking it up and having a good time together while putting the points on the board or, or launching products or bringing the company success. 
Um, and I've also been very lucky to have some great mentors. And so, you know, part of learning is, is sort of like the, there's systemic learning, there's, there's linear learning, there's learning from osmosis, there's, you know, intentionally learning. But a lot of the greatest learning comes from when you're, you're lucky enough to have somebody take you under, the, under their wing and, and have a mentoring type of relationship. And I've had some extraordinary mentors in my life who've gone on to, you know, to build companies that they've sold for half a billion dollars. Uh, a mentor of mine was uh, Frank Del Rio, who, who is the, just now retiring as the chairman and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Holdings. Um, so, uh, you know, for sure, a handful of, of people who played that role in my life were very formative for me. And before you dove into Reserve Bar as well, you had a couple more stops along the well, uh, along the way, rather. Uh, Vela Concepts, uh, according to your LinkedIn, was something that you founded as well. Um, you know, give us a rundown of that and what the portfolio consists of before we head into your, your latest journey of Reserve Bar. Yeah, so after I, I was an equity holder in, in that agency I mentioned, Source, and, and we sold the company. And that was a time for me to sort of reflect on uh, on my career and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I decided to, you know, make some investments and be kind of an angel investor and and get involved in some different businesses. And and there was very disparate businesses. Some of them were, you know, very intentional that should be cash cow type business, like uh, Salons by JC is is a, it's like a WeWork for salon professionals. And it had a really good um, return on equity type business model. It was proven it was new and would be growing. So I did that sort of as what would be the core cash flow generator. And then a lot of the other businesses were more, um, you know, true venture investing. Everything from a tech company that, that basically enabled anybody who was shooting video together in the same place at the same time could share all of that video into a centralized place in the cloud and each make their own video edit by benefiting from all of the mobile video that was shot. So think about like you're at your kid's soccer game or you're at a sporting event or a concert. And instead of what is most likely a crappy video that you shot on your own phone, you could be accessing, you know, 30, 40, 5,000 different video assets to stitch together a better product. Um, some businesses in the, um, uh, environmentally friendly uh, power uh, business, uh, a, a music school, uh, you know, I have a passion for music. So a lot of these things were, were sort of things that I was interested in. So I, I partnered with Michael Lang, who founded um, Woodstock, and, uh, and Paul Green, who was the, the original School of Rock guy, the, the one that, that's played um, in the movie. That, that was him in real life. And he's, he is exactly like um, like Jack Black's character. It's pretty crazy. Uh, so we were trying to build a, a music school for adults that would be, you know, um, you know that, that parents would be excited about their kids going to because it actually had positive outcomes, right? Not like you went to school to try to be a rock star because most parents are like, well, you're going to end up waiting tables. I don't really want to pay for that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's an $80 billion industry. There's plenty of jobs in music production and, and venue management and all these kinds of things. So all of those, but my favorite of them um, at that time is, is Ship Bottom Brewery, which is a brewery I'm here right now in Long Beach Island and uh, invested uh, with a bunch of folks in um, a brewery built right on the island. At the time, it was the only brewery that was that was on a Jersey Shore island and it was meant to you know, be a great beer, but also to kind of capture that Jersey Shore vibe, sort of what Corona is to 
Mexico and the Caribbean accept much better beer than Corona and more of the, you know, the Jersey Shore. Like when you go over that causeway and you're hitting the beach and you leave the weight of the world behind because you're fishing and hanging out and, and enjoying good times kind of brand. Now, was that your first step into the alcohol industry or was there anything else that helped, you know, spark that inspiration for you to get involved in? Well, well at, at one time I worked for Diageo, which is the, the biggest spirits company in, in the world. But it was when they acquired Grand Met, which um, was a conglomerate uh, that had Pillsbury, Burger King and Guinness. So kind of crazy. Diageo bought this company that was like a consumer packaged goods dough company and a, a burger franchise, primarily American based because they wanted to get their hands on Guinness. Uh, so kind of nuts. So I did learn the Diageo way of brand building and I had some Diageo education as part of that, but didn't work directly on BevAl. But my agency did. We had some clients in the industry, including Sky Vodka. But it wasn't really my knowledge of the industry that got me into into Reserve Bar. It was uh, I happened to be sharing an office with the founder when I was working on a business called Role Model Mentors, which was trying to productize near peer mentorship matching. You know, I was talking before about the value of mentors in my life. And I thought, you know, if we could figure out how to bring mentorship to, to kids, especially middle school kids who universally struggle, it's like a middle school always sucked. It sucks like times a thousand now with social media and parental pressure and all of this. And the idea was to match those kids with a high school kid where, where they would be like tutoring them, but they had a mutual interest. They both played baseball. They both loved, uh, you know, to, to play piano, whatever it was. Um, and, and to have those kids sort of take that younger kid under their wing and help them through that time. And I was working in an office and uh, through a mutual friend, the guy that founded Reserve Bar, and he had some extra space and his daughters were mentors in the program. And we were a FOPSI, a for-profit social enterprise. So he's like, why don't you just use some extra space in my office? Because uh, I love what you're doing. I think it's a great mission. And so since I wasn't paying rent, you know, I was there every night late as an entrepreneur and so was he. So I sort of just gave him all the free advice that I could, uh, quid pro quo for not having a, a rent bill every month. <laughs> and then, you know, ultimately, you know, one day he's like, you know, I could really use your help on this reserve bar business. Why don't you come over and, uh, and help me run it? It's a great segue to Reserve Bar and your involvement and and what Reserve Bar is and where it's going. So uh, relatively recent, uh, you know, a business that's under 10 years old. Give us the e-pitch of, of what Reserve Bar is all about and what are the problems that you're solving now? Yeah, so because it's a highly regulated industry, beverage alcohol has lagged all other, you know, packaged goods type businesses in e-commerce. So all of the reasons why e-commerce makes sense for ordering, you know, food, toilet paper, you know, hardware, whatever, the convenience of just using your phone or computer and having it dropped off to you um, wasn't available to people for alcohol. So you still had to go out in your car and slap or if you're in an urban environment, you know, walk eight blocks and carry heavy bottles back to your apartment. So, you know, we cracked the nut on that regulatory friction to, to enable it by routing the orders to the licensed retailers. So we don't actually sell anybody a bottle of alcohol. We have no inventory. We're really a technology company. And what we do is we curate um, the best spirits, wine and champagne in the world. We make it easy to shop it. It's an immersive, you know, educational environment. It's easy to learn about 
bourbon or wine without having that awkward pressure when you're in a store and standing in front of a shelf, right? You either know too much and then the staff is annoying because they can't really help you because they don't know what they're talking about or you know too little and the staff is annoying because, you know, they won't leave you alone and they're giving you too much information. You're like, oh my God, I gotta just, I gotta get out of here. So it's, uh, it's meant for exploration and discovery and to facilitate, um, you know, convenience in the shopping aspect of it through a better experience digitally. And then of course the convenience of having it shipped to you or uh, more recently, we, we offer, you know, one to two hour delivery right to your doorstep. We also do a big gifting business. It's a, it's a great gift to send to somebody. You know, nobody's ever said, I can't believe what a jerk my friend is for sending me a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. Um, most people enjoy receiving uh, bottles of their favorite alcohol or new things to discover and, and explore, which is another great way to, to gift somebody. So that's how that all started. And uh, it's been, you know, it's been around since 2014. I joined in 2019. And then when the pandemic came around, you know, that was a sudden and steep acceleration of the demand curve because uh, nobody could go out. Right. So all of a sudden, everybody was trying to figure out how to buy alcohol online. And there we were. So, um, you know, it, it's been a great business. We, we subsequently acquired mini bar delivery, which has a lot uh, more focus on uh, the one hour on demand. They're not a curated site, so they have all of the alcohol that's available in their retail network. So that's more, you know, conducive. Whatever you want, you can get it on mini bar delivery. So it's really good when you know exactly what you want. It's easy to check out and get it brought to you. And more recently, we launched Get Stocked because we saw the same problem exists in, in the canned beverage arena, right? So craft beer, hard beverages in cans, canned cocktails. It's the same thing. The store is a, a frustrating environment to shop in. The shelves are just packed with so many different products. The only information is what's on the cans. Um, so we built GetStock to, to facilitate the same thing, a more curated, uh, educational, you know, engaging shopping experience so you can get it right. When you're the one that's got to fill the cooler, when I was young, it was easy. If we were going to the football game this weekend, I go get a case of Budweiser, maybe my fancy friend drinks some Heinekens, throw, throw some ice on it and, and I'm done. Now it's like, you know, oh, well, Billy likes some kind of old fashioned in a can. I think Susan drinks Cosmopolitans. Jack is an IPA guy, but he doesn't like the ones that I know. Which one do I get? And it's can be it can be overwhelming. So we're solving for that challenge. And I think one of the hardest things, too, is I think the alcohol industry is more of a marketing business now than anything, because you make the you make the point of how the shop, the stocks, the shelves are so stocked. Your eye just gravitates to the prettiest can or bottle, but it could be the absolute worst product. Sure can. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy. Like we, we're big untapped people with the craft beer and stuff. And that's like our go-to library of information for craft beer, because even if we don't understand or don't know the product that's on the shelf, at least we can do a quick, a quick search to be like, oh, well, 5,000 people have said this is at least a four out of five. I, I trust the public rather than <clears throat> the pretty can that has you know, the shooting stars and uh, you know, whatever the case might be. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, Untapped is, a, is an amazing platform. And for, for that reason and more, I mean, it is cool, like the sort of social engagement aspects of that and knowing who's drinking what at the moment. And, and they also power the menu boards in, in a lot of the breweries too. And it's a very cool business. And that's a good example of, you know, where we're evolving our technology now is, 
you think about reserve bar, mini bar delivery, and get stock. They're all owned and operated platforms. They're your classic business where we have to spend money on customer acquisition to get people to come there <clears throat> and to cart and check out and then hopefully have lifetime value because they keep coming back because they find the, the value of the proposition, right? What we're doing now is saying, wait a second, isn't it a better idea to take our technology that matches consumers with the products they want from the retailers that are near them that have it in stock and can get it to them and bring it to all of the places where it makes sense to buy in the digital world in real life. So what does that mean? Well, imagine you're reading a listicle in Esquire.com and it's talking about here's seven great, um, you know, saisons to drink uh, this summer, right? Now, normally you'd read about them and then you'd be like, all right, well, I never heard of this one and I got to Google it. Where is it? You go to the store, they don't have it. You're trying to find where can I buy this product? Uh, why shouldn't that article just be shoppable? This one sounds good to me. There's the thumbnail of the product. I can get it to me in an hour. I add it to cart and I check out right on, on Esquire.com. I never even left and I bought the things I'm interested in, right? So that's an example of what we call e-commerce everywhere. So there's shoppable content, shoppable video. Um, we're making the brand's websites shoppable. So you're into bourbon and you end up, you know, on, uh, uh, on Pappy because everybody loves Pappy or Blanton's or or Woodford Reserve or whatever it is, and you're there because you're learning and you're interested about it, you should be able to buy the product right on that site. Well, those brands, they can't sell you the product legally, right? It has to be purchased from a licensed retailer in this country. So our technology enables you to, to do that on the brand sites. It enables you to do that in an event. You go to Coachella and you sample some cocktail and you're like, wow, that, that's really delicious. And the brand spent a lot of money to get you to sample that cocktail. And two minutes later, you're watching the next band on stage three and you, you, and you forgot already, right? But if you could buy that product right at that moment with your phone by saying, man, that was delicious. Let me shoot this QR code. I download the recipe and get all the ingredients shipped right to my house so I can make that drink this weekend. Um, you know, everybody wins. So we're really proliferating our technology uh, partnerships, like just starting right now on 1-800-Flowers instead of just sending somebody flowers, you can send them flowers and a bottle of champagne. Or when mm -hmm. Father's Day rolls around, and nobody's really sending their dad a dozen roses for Father's Day, but we'll curate a collection of scotch and tequila and bourbon, and now people on 1-800-Flowers can, can use it to send alcohol. So that's really the future as we see it, is, is bringing the shopping and checkout capability and proliferating it out into all of the moments where it makes sense to, to buy alcohol. I love, uh, I, I love that. That's a really good point that you made that like, you know, if I'm going to Angel's Envy or whatever, if I'm going to find some sort of bourbon, I, you don't really go in to have the expectation to buy it, but you know, you should, right. You should have the ability to click check out and have it, you know, maybe pick it up somewhere at a, a retailer near you. So I think that's interesting. Um, Derek, how uh, we talked about how you got involved, but you speak of this industry with such knowledge and with such, you know, promise of what this journey should be. So that being said, I mean, your title's the president. What is it that you do day to day, right? Is it, is this sort of dreaming big like that and, you know, figuring out ways to get into those different journeys or what, what ultimately are you charged with doing with reserve bar? Yeah. So, I mean, I, on the one hand, I do all the same things that presidents of any company do, right. I've got to, to be working with my my senior team and others to make sure that we 
have the right strategies and, and tactical plans that we're evolving them and adapting them based on you know the real results and, and feedback we're getting from the things that we're doing that we're keeping our initiatives on schedule and if they're varied we're you know understanding why and, and adapting to that we're um, you know planning and and forecasting and executing to deliver against that for our board and our shareholders um, I'm trying to find and attract and retain the best talent that I can uh, we don't have any um, you know uh, we're not like a a widget company that has a patent on making a widget that nobody makes. We're just, we're competing against companies that have the same opportunity to do all of the same things to win. Uh, and the only way we win is by having people that are, that are smarter and, and uh, more competent and, and work harder and, and do a better job than the other guys. So a lot of my time is spent on building that team and guiding that team. You know, what's different here, I guess, within this industry is um, the regulatory complexity. The We have a business that has a lot of different revenue models, right? So it's not just moving the bottles on the platform and getting the, you know, a piece of that action from the from the GMV. We also have a data business. We, we generate a lot of data. We actually know who's buying what products. The brands don't, right? Like, uh, you know, pick a pick a brand they sell their product to the distributors the distributors sell it to the stores right so a lot of brands are always flying blind in terms of who is my actual consumer that's actually my that loves my brand that's buying it and drinking we know who that is so that data is, is very valuable and we monetize that we are a media company our platforms have millions of visits a month and we actually have ad space and uh, touts and marquees and digital shelf space, if you will, that the brands, they want their brands to be there in that last mile when somebody's imminently about to purchase, right? It's better to have an ad for uh, for a scotch at a moment when somebody's shopping scotch than having it on, you know, uh, the, the Nuggets versus Miami game because we think a lot of those people drink scotch, right? Like that's, it's just, there's no comparison between the efficiency of that media unit. So we have a whole advertising business. We have this API technology business I was talking about. I spend a lot of my time evangelizing that out on the road, meeting with companies, helping them understand, hey, you might not have even known this, but you could partner with us and add beverage alcohol to, to your business and generate uh, incremental business. So it's a, it's a combination of you know, operations, finance, you know, planning, selling, marketing. I do a little bit of everything and that's why I love it so much. And how would you describe the, in 2023, what does the alcohol market look like? And, you know, you talk about what you, you say, you know what the consumers want, but, you know, with so many options and so many different, you know, new form waves of alcohol now, you know, now we have the ready to go cocktails, the cocktails in the can, um, the pre-made old fashions in the bottles, what are consumers eyeing for? And how have you capitalized on the people heading to your site to buy it online rather than going in the store? Yeah, so I mean, that's one of the great things about having a digital business is, I mean, just during the time that we were having this call, you know, thousands of people came, there was tens of thousands of clicks happening on our site and on, on all of our technology forward deployed um, cart and checkout technologies. And so the information is just constantly coming in. So you're, 
every we were talking about learning uh, at the beginning of this conversation, right? The, there's a learning aspect to optimizing businesses, e-commerce businesses, that it's it's really an amazing thing, the amount of information that's coming in. So we're always, you know, dynamically adapting to what do people want? There's the, me, the mega trends, right? Like tequila is hot. Bourbon is hot. Uh, scotch is hot. Finishing, you know, brown um, brown spirits being finished in interesting casks like Madeira barrels, ex, uh, you know, um, port wine barrels or sherry barrels, right? Like I could tell you about all of those macro trends. You know, certainly RTDs and canned cocktails is is very hot. Craft beers making a little bit of a renaissance. Um, you know, every, everybody keeps thinking gin is gin is coming back, and it's sort of like keeps trying to come back a little bit. So all that stuff is happening, but at the same time, there's all of like this perpetual micro stuff like what's happening today because there's the start of the nba finals stuff is going to be a little bit different today for the person who's provisioning to have some friends over tonight and and watch that game so a lot of what we manage is sort of the you know understanding occasions understanding uh, segments and and how different people operate some people use our platform and they just they just think it's the greatest place to gift. And that's really all the business we get from them. They're going to come to us when they got to send a gift to somebody that we have a big business around the holidays as a result of that. Some people are just bourbon lovers and they come to our site all the time. And the only place they ever visit is the bourbon. And the only thing they ever buy is bourbon, right? So how do we really understand that consumer and that dynamic? And as an example, we found so much interest there at the higher end and, and people who are enthusiasts that we started our own barrel selection program. We call it um, top flight. So we go and pick, we go to actual Rick houses and taste individual barrels at some of the best bourbon producers in the country. And we pick the barrel that we think is the single best barrel and they bottle it off for us and it's available only to our customers. And so sometimes, We'll put one of those on the site and we'll send an SMS to the segment of our consumers that are interested in that. And we'll sell out 220 bottles in in hours um, because, you know, that's pretty cool. Right. You're, you're getting one of only 200, 210, 220 bottles that are from that cask. They'll never be that bottling again. It's it's one of one cask. So, you know, there's so many different ways. It's such an exciting business. It's a business of passion and enthusiasm people really you know their beverage of choice matters to them a lot and a lot of people work in businesses where you know they're trying to get that engagement but you know it's just hard to make people passionate about kitchen cleaning products you know it's just a different it's a different ball game than than alcohol beverages and i know we've mentioned this already but i want to go back to this e-commerce everywhere strategy right you know, about that customer journey, right? So it's always, you know, the philosophy clearly around the consumer, how to build the right tech stack and the infrastructure to to enable consumers to purchase their favorite alcohol legally and in compliance with most um, statutes and things like that. Um, you know, you when you spoke about it, it's simple to understand, right? You know, when I buy it, when I go on, I should be able to buy it. But how did did you have to refine that journey at all? Like what was the process of, of going to these, 
powerhouse brands and saying, you know, hey, you're not you're not selling as effectively as you could be, right? Does does their distributor have to get involved? Does there's there's got to be a local angle to this? I mean, how did you refine that so that the big brands sort of said, yeah, I, I get this, this is a problem, and I need to do something about it? Yeah, when it, well, good question. When it comes to the actual brand sites, right? If you think about if you run a brand. Um, and your job is to, to market that brand as efficiently as possible. You have a budget. You spend some of it on sponsorship and experiences, some of it on channel and trade and sales support, some of it on advertising and building the brand, social media, all of it. Um, until very recently, there was no direct response aspect to any of that. All of the call to action of that was basically, you know, whatever it said about the brand, it was just, hey, go out and... Go, go find it and buy it wherever you go. You go to, go to a grocery store, go to a, a specialty store, go to your favorite bar and ask for it from the bartender. But there, wa there was nothing known relative to what the outcomes of that ad spend were, right? Other than looking at your overall volume and your share and sort of these very high level kind of metrics for those businesses. When we go and tell a brand, you know, if you install our technology on your site and we built all of our technology to be scalable and usable, and no matter how somebody wants to create that shopping journey, where they want to put it, how they want to manage it, it all flexes into however brands want to use it, their brand, you know, fonts and colors and tonality and user imagery and whatever it is, it flexes into that. And so... So the proposition is, if you put our technology on your site, now you can direct all of your marketing back to your own site where somebody can transact and actually buy your product. You can get PII and actually know who your customer is. And then you can have a relationship with them and you can market to them and you can survey them and you can reward them and thank them for doing business with you. You can model them and go easily find lookalike customers that'll be efficient. You can do what we call low funnel tactics like retargeting and take people who looked at something and left your site and market to them wherever they go in the digital world to be like, hey, come back and buy this. Here's another uh, $10 off to, to do that, right? And, and convert that. So, and then you can optimize your media. Now you can run 20 ad units digitally. And before you were figuring out the best ones based on clicks or engagement, now you can run 20 ad units and say unit number 11 sold 200 bottles. The next best performing ad sold seven. Change all of the ad campaign to, to unit 11, right? Like think about the marketing efficiency benefits of this. So it's a relatively easy sell once, once marketers and brand owners understand um, what it unleashes for them uh, from a, a marketing and, and business performance perspective. And in terms of, you mentioned before the acquisition and growth that you've, you know, helped lead with Reserve Bar, you know, mini bar, uh, the mini bar delivery, and as well as get stock. How have you infiltrated the market that's already so, you know, has the alcohol market is kind of perceived as like very old school. There's not much change that has recently gone on. People just still think, you know, a magazine, a magazine advertisement of a bottle will attract people to go buy that bottle. But how have you, you know, inquired and implemented these new tactics to help improve the whole model that you're working with, with Reserve Bar? Yeah, so, you know, there, a lot of it is the same. You're not wrong. I mean, brands are launched and built in many ways, the same as, they, as they've been for 50 years. Um, the media mix 
isn't substantially different. I mean, it's evolved to obviously have a lot more digital. Within digital, there's interesting things like mobile companies that can do moment in time <coughs> marketing. So as an example, you know, we will, we will bring the, the learning and understanding and education of what is possible many times to the brands. And the only reason they're not doing it is because they don't know. And as soon as they know, they're like, well, yeah, of course we want to do that, right? Like a good example is, you know, get stocked is occasion focused. And those occasions are what we call the cooler occasions, right? Like when you're drinking out of a cooler. So it's tailgating, camping, backyard barbecues, boating, um, you know, all of that, that kind of stuff. And here, here's an example of where media, our technology, marketing efficiency, occasions, all of this come together would be, hey, do you want to re reach people going to the beach with your brand? Well, okay, so take all of the brands, all the beer brands, let's say, and 15% of them are very focused on the beach occasions, right? So we say, well, how would you like to market to people when you know that they're going to the beach, you can hit their phone, um, to have your product suggested to them and have it be delivered to their home so that they can put it right in the cooler and go to the beach without having an extra stop to try to stop somewhere to fill the cooler or one better. What if we had a truck that was going to be at all the major beaches on Cape Cod and uh, that truck had coolers and ice and, and you can brand it with your brand and it has a QR code on the side of it. And when people are at the beach, they can shoot this QR code and be like, how cool is this? I want to order a case of dogfish head and have it brought right here to where this truck is. And they'll put it in a cooler with ice and it'll, and it'll be here in an hour. Or I just ran out. We didn't bring enough beer, you know, and you can get it delivered to you right at the beach and, and you can market with mobile technology to people that, you know, are going to or already at the beach. Right. Like who who wouldn't want that? You know, of, of course you want that. You know, so we're we're bringing all of these things together. Um, we're creating new opportunities with technology. So think about the money that brands spend to be in stadiums. Right. Like Jim, there's a Jim Beam lounge at Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, the brands pay to have their product poured there. Anheuser-Busch paying a lot of money for cut water to be served there, as an example. But, you know, at, at the Jim Beam Lounge, if they're already there, how cool would an activation be if on the Diamond Vision something came up and said, hey, did, did a friend or, or business associate bring you to the game today? Thank them by sending them a, an engraved bottle of, of Jim Beam. And you could, you, you, you know, just shoot a QR code on the Diamond Vision screen and go right to a deep cart link and be like, I'm going to get my bud. I'm going to send him a bottle because he brought me to this game today. Right. Like there's just so many ways that technology and intent <clears throat> or technology and disruption of helping the consumer understand the new opportunity and reason to buy beverage alcohol that our technology can facilitate. I feel like it's a very relatable problem being on the beach and you know you run out of beer and somebody's got to be the the unlucky guy to get in the car and and go to the liquor store and pick up some more beer and nobody wants that right if you're telling me you don't have to move from your seat and you can just get a case of beer basically delivered to you i mean that's i don't know i can't name you someone that wouldn't want that honestly um <laughs> it's a good know, time to be alive jake <laughs> it's it's a lovely world what tech can do you know really is into the stuff right now I, I mean obviously you guys have taken the celebrity uh sort of influencer marketing route too um you know there's a lot of celebrities that are making their own brands of alcohol obviously uh 
you know, Michael Jordan's been a longtime player in this business, but now you have ASAP Rocky getting in, Kendall Jenner, Whoopi Goldberg, Aaron Paul, Brian Cranston, to name a few. Um, this is now the go-to platform reserve bar for these sort of celebrity-led drinks, as we describe it. So, I mean, how what weight does that carry? Obviously, they have massive followings. They have a lot of capital, a lot of places to spend. This is one of many verticals that they're going for, but it's it's got to be an interesting, uh, like a big chunk of your marketing strategy. Yeah, I mean, these days, are you even a celebrity if you don't have your own spirit brand? Um, you know, you guys, you keep doing a great job with this podcast. Maybe it's time for, for Jake and Will to have their own uh, their own spirit brand out there. But yeah, you know, it, it is interesting, right? When you think about the, how do you launch a brand and what are the costs of doing it? Well, this happens to be an industry where a lot of times you don't have to build a distillery. Um, most brands are actually launched because you go and you source distillate that somebody else has already made and it's sitting in barrels and you buy the barrels. And so, you know, you don't need the capital to build a facility or to, to, you know, have a massive rick house to store or the time to age barrels. You can go and buy six year old bourbon if you wanted to launch a brand now. Right. So then you've got to, to buy bottles and, and, and stoppers and labels, and you got to spend money on uh, legal and, and all that kind of stuff, put the juice in the bottles. But then you've got the biggest expense of all, which is how do I get this damn product to be known by people and to be bought? And how do I get it on shelves? Right. And so the reason why there's so many celebrities are launching is that they've already got a, 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 almost an unfair advantage against the common person uh, to do so. Right. Like The Rock has, I don't know, a gazillion followers. Right. So. When he launched Terramana and a tequila, he didn't have to spend, he would have probably had to spend $100 million of marketing money if he was just a regular person launching Terramana. But he didn't have to spend that. He already had a platform that could reach tens of millions of people. And he already has a borrowed equity of that brand, of his own brand equity, right? People who love The Rock, I'm going to try, try The Rock's tequila. I'm going to try Sincoro because Michael Jordan said it's great. I'm going to try Lobo 1707 because I'm a LeBron James fan. So it, it, it makes sense. Now, the, the, the difference is some of these people, and I'm not going to besmirch any of them, um, but some of them, you know, it really was just purely a business play, right? Like their business manager said, hey, you've got 32 million followers. You should launch a tequila and we can make some money on that and then somebody will buy it. Uh, so let's do that. Right. And then they sometimes fabricate some kind of, you know, there's about a hundred brands where the story is me and my friends loved drinking insert spirit type here. Whenever we had the best times together, it was always around drinking the greatest insert spirit time here. So we decided to launch insert spirit time here and find the greatest one that we could and bring it to our fans. Right. It's like a formulaic thing. There are other people like the guys from Brothers Bond. Uh, Ian Summerhalder and Paul Wesley, like those guys are climbing in casks and smelling the oak inside of the casks that they're going to rest their product in. They're like, you know, out in the in the fields looking at the grains that are going to be used for to make the distillate. They are like super passionate and there was a legitimacy in them launching a bourbon because their characters in that in that show 
you know, drank bourbon together all the time and they truly loved bourbon. So a lot of these celebrity products are, are super authentic in terms of the, the passion and blood, sweat and tears that, that those people put into them and others are just, you know, their, their end side hustle. It's definitely, I mean, it's a market that will never go away and you keep seeing it time after time that, you know, everyone, like you said, everyone, if you, if you are somebody, you have an alcohol brand. So um, it's definitely something to capitalize as we close out, you know, you are someone that has grown within the ranks of many different corporations and now, um, you know, helping leading the charge at Reserve Bar. But what advice do you have people, whether it's someone in your industry or someone in a position similar to you? Um, is there a piece of advice you wish you heard early on that, you know, really resonated with you? Or is there something that you would like to provide to somebody that says, you know, hey, if you do X, Y and Z, you can get to where I am today? Yeah. You know, whenever I get asked this question, I'm sorry, there's always like a recency effect. So I don't have like a uh, like the the go to that's the that's the answer to this question, because at different times in my life, literally like different days, I think about it differently. And and what I would say to you today is, you know, I, I have three kids who are between the ages of 18 and 24. I coached a lot of youth sports teams over the years, something like 45 teams across boys and girls, lacrosse, baseball, soccer, basketball. Um, and, and I know a lot of kids in that age. And then I mentioned the role model mentors business earlier too, and trying to, to help young adults sort of self-actualize. And what I see a lot today is uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, depression, a lot of people who are in, in their 20s, um, who the 20s should be one of the best times of our lives. And I see so many of them who have put upon themselves or from, from their parents or, or from the world, from their social media presence and the curated lives of all of their friends that they see, whatever these things are that are happening, there's so many people who are putting outsized pressure on themselves at a young age to get the most awesome internship, to get the greatest first job, to have the most awesome thing at, at when you're 20 or 25 or, or 30. And, and I wish people didn't think of it that way. Um, I told you I had 21 jobs before I was 21. Um, in my 20s, I, I had a lot of different jobs. And, you know, and I, when I failed, I didn't feel good about it and nobody ever does but i wish people would think more of the of your 20s as a time to fail you should you should embrace you should be trying all kinds of different things and you should stop doing things that you don't like and do more of the things that you like and don't be afraid to to try things and and fail or not like them and put yourself out there and uh, make yourself vulnerable and don't put too high expectations on yourself and make sure you're having a good time. There'll be plenty of time for, for pressure and, uh, and, and worrying about things and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. But, but early on in people's careers, they shouldn't be looking sideways and comparing themselves to people. And my friend is making more money or has a higher level title or, you know, am I not where I should be based on the education that I have? Just do, just show up, just 
you know, put whatever you're doing, put yourself into it. And, and if you love it, it'll, your, your trajectory will happen. And if you don't do something else. It's great advice. Um, it's very relatable. Thanks, Derek. That was, uh, that was a great way to close things out. Uh, we can't let you go without talking about the Yankees real quick. So <laughs> John Carlos Stanton's coming back. So as I guess Josh Donaldson, uh, but <laughs> you know, what's, uh, What's your perception of this team so far? You know, the, a lot of people were, were worried. I mean, you know, they got hot the last month. I, you know, they're, I think they're like a 700 winning percentage or something. There was a little bit of a rough patch there in, in uh, the second half of April. You know, the injury bugs got them again. Um, you know, they seem to be, I don't know who their athletic trainer is or what's happening there, but they seem to be like uh, the most injured team in all of sports. Uh, but the good news is, like we have a problem this week, right? Like we have three players coming off of the IL and, you know, I think, you know, Willie Calhoun's probably getting sent down because he's one dimension. I mean, he, and he's been playing well, he's been hitting, but he's a DH, right? So he's a guy and he has more options. So, you know, he, he's got to go back down, but it's a little bit of a problem, right? So that's the proverbial good problem to have. Who are we sending down to make room for, excuse me, clearly, you know, uh, Giancarlo has to come back on the team. Unfortunately, you know, Josh does too, primarily because of his, his contract. I mean, we, you know, God bless the Yankees. They did, they, they waived uh, Aaron Hicks and that cost them a lot of money. And that was an admission of, of a mistake. And, and I liked Aaron. I mean, I think that guy, that guy tried as hard as he could. He just couldn't, he couldn't do it anymore. And they were right to, to, to bounce him. But I, I'm feeling confident about this team. I mean, they're fun to watch. Aaron, we're, we're witnessing, you know, this is like a, a, a Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, um, Barry, but like Aaron, like right, Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. This this competition for for MVP to me is one of the greatest that baseball has seen in a long time. I mean, there's never been a two way player like Shohei since friggin' Babe Ruth, and and Aaron Judge is. I mean, he's missed ten games and he's got uh, what eighteen home runs already. Like. Um, I really am. I'm enjoying the Yankees. Their pitching staff has been better than what I expected. Their hitting's been worse. But when you watch them, like they look like they can hit. And sometimes they do, right? They scored over 10 runs a, a couple games in a row with half their best players not even on the Rizzo was out and, 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 um, and stand out. So I'm bullish. I bet them to win uh, the, the World Series. I like the, the long... I like making one bet at the beginning of the season. That's the win it all bet. So I've got action the whole season. Um, so I've got them to win um, both the American League and the World Series championship. And I'm still feeling good about it. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, what this team would have been without Aaron Judge is a a nightmare I'm glad we never had to witness. Because oh, I cannot that. imagine this conversation on June 1st, if Aaron Judge was not on this team, where the Yankees would be. I don't think it would be very good. Um, yeah, I remember that day here, like, you know, because there, there was like, remember, it was like five days in a row was supposed to be the day that they were going to say that he was signed or not. And it was like dragging on. I was sort of like, I was getting worried. Um, and when it finally came out that they signed him, it was what a, I mean, he is, it's not even just his stats and his performance. And I mean, they made him captain, not just because of that. I mean, that would be reason alone to make the guy the captain, right? But he really is a captain. I mean, when you see him in the dugout, when you see the way he pulls, 
you know, younger players and rookies aside and, you know, pats him on the back and puts his arm around him and, and, and you can see him talking. You don't know what he's saying because all these guys are always covered in their mask because somebody's lip reading or whatever. But he really seems like he's worth, he's worth his salary just from a leadership and presence. He's a, he's a lot like Jeter, right? I mean, he's like a, he, he's an earnest, like down home, good guy. He's not out like clubbing at three in the morning. He's not posting stupid shit on social media. You know, he's, he's worth every penny the Yankees are paying him, uh, paying him. And I'm super glad he's there. And, you know, what leadership the other day, too, when everybody was accusing him of cheating, right, when they were, he was looking into the dugout, he had a very clear and concise answer because, very simply put, it was the truth. He was calling guys out for running their mouths, um, you know, to the umpire when they were up by six runs. So that's something that, you know, he didn't have to say that, right? If it was Alex Rodriguez, he probably would have joined in the chirping, right? But <laughs> you never know. But that's the kind of guy that, like, this team was, I don't want to say missing because he's been there, but now that he has that role, I mean, you can see it just, like, he, he stepped right into it. <clears throat> Yeah. And then, and, and I mean, he, he got hurt. Right. But you can tell also like, and I wasn't worried about this with Aaron, but sometimes when the, when the guy gets to that point, whether, you know, they're still young, they're still between 25 and 30 when they sign that mega deal, right. They're past their rookie contract. They're putting numbers up. They're a valuable player. And they sign that 300, 400, $500 million deal. And sometimes you just see like the, the next day, it's not the same guy. Like all of a sudden, it's the guy that's got, you know, he just went out the, the yesterday, bought a Ferrari, a new house in in, in uh, the Amalfi Coast, another one in in Scottsdale, you know, and and is partying and spending his money, and just all of a sudden, the work isn't there anymore. And and I was never worried about that with him, but man, the guy's, you know, he works just as hard since this contract was signed than he did before, and that's a great thing. Hopefully it ends with the World Series frame. That's all. That's all that yes. matters. Well, multiple and on under his contract and and Garrett Cole and hopefully Stanton adds one to that mix too. So lots to look forward to and a lot of moves to be made. Hopefully they get a left fielder. That'd be nice as Cashman once promised. <laughs> you know, some, yes. <laughs> hey, I will. You know what? I, I gave. He's, he's, I, been, I, he's I, been better. He's been better. He's been better. He's been a valuable bench depth piece and. You know, he's not a starting shortstop, so we'll take it. But I can deal with the rotation they have when Bader's healthy and he's in center and judges in right. You know, that that left field rotation, given the rest of the team, is fine. I mean, it's very difficult to have a team where every single position player is like a top 10 talent. You know, I, I, I can deal with it. But Bader's been hurt a lot, too. So, I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited. I'm going to the Red Sox game. I bought one of those like six game packages uh, where you, you know, you, you can pick the six games you want. And you get pretty good seats, like eight, 10 rows back between third base and minor, mostly between third and, and outfield. Um, and every time I've gone, they've won so far. So I have to keep, keep, going. keep going to games. <laughs> yeah. We got to get, get you down there for the fall. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun hanging with you. Yeah, appreciate it, Derek. Where can our listeners find more about Reserve Bar and where can they obviously visit your site online? Yeah, very simple. It's at reservebar.com um, and uh, also uh, minibardelivery.com. And if you're into, this is beers, business and ball. So if you're more of a, 
a craft beer person or, or canned cocktails and so forth, that's getstocked.com. We love it. Derek Correa, thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to hearing about all the fun stuff Reserve Bar does in the future. Thanks, guys. And that was just Derek Correa. Um, great interview, great conversation, great concept. So he's definitely uh, lived many lives and many careers. And, you know, definitely check out Reserve Bar and all the cool stuff that they're working on. But awesome interview all around. Um, now we're going to be heading into more some more business before we head to balls. So what do you want to start with? Well, actually, no, we'll start with Apple, I guess. Yeah, we got to start with this Apple stuff. So, um, yeah, this you you've you've been following this a little closer, so you can you can lead us into the segment here. So I still have I mean, I'm a little late to the game because, again, the news cycle has been crazy. But I wanted to recap the Apple event. It's always interesting because Apple is such an advanced leader in technology and they do such a great job releasing stuff. Now, the price points are crazy, but. The big takeaway is obviously this new VR headset. One aspect of it is one, Apple's now into the VR game, which means it's becoming, it's going to become an everyday thing. So say goodbye to reality. Um, there was a couple of points where like, I didn't really like about the VR set. So they had like their commercial, their little scene that they had. And the guy, the father was wearing the VR set in front of his children, watching his kids play. And it's like, is that the life we're going to live? He's taking a photo with the VR headset from his perspective. Just hold the phone up, you know, live in the moment. So like I'm, I'm anti VR because I just think that, you know, especially all the memes that came out where it's like, people always said, stop looking at the, like your screen too much. And like blue light glasses literally like are created because we are glued to our screens from computers. And now there are all these studies out about blue light though, that say blue light glasses are and for you now, I, this shit's nothing's, beyond me. Nothing's good for you. But now you're going to have people who literally are wearing this headset all the time and escaping reality. We're not going to know the difference between fiction and, 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 and reality. And that is, you all say this, it sounds like Black Mirror. Like how far, what's Delta before? Like, is it in our lifetime that we see some of that shit start to happen where it's like people are... I don't remember. It was one episode where it was the <clears throat> the two friends that were basically like doing a VR video game and like they had they did not have an intimate relationship outside the VR confines, but they did in that world. And it was just like their feelings for each other were <laughs> it was crazy fucking episode. It was the first episode of the latest season they had. But that's the point. It's like, I agree with you. I was never the biggest VR guy. Like I see the appeal. Uh, I, you and I have friends that like to do VR, right? They game with VR, right? They have like actual, that's how they game. They don't do it on a console anymore. And I think that's going to be pretty typical these next couple of years, but at what cost? Yeah. Well, you mentioned Black Mirror and I don't know when it was, but you know, the official Twitter account of Netflix is like, hey, you know, we're working on Black Mirror season six. No, we're living in it. Like that was their, that was the whole, and I bet you, honestly, the episode, the first episode is probably going to be like a overview shot of like the Netflix executives being like, all right, tweet out that like, we're working on Black Mirror season six. I, I can't fucking do that. I and can't. then just recap the past two years, COVID, the VR headset stuff, all this conspiracy theories. It's like, we are, we are living in this, this bullshit crazy land, but Going back to the VR, I'm, 
I haven't seen the benefit of like the technological advancements of VR. I mean, all those years ago in college, we had the uh, design thinking class where we tried to incorporate it. And it's still that aspect of like, I guess we were ahead of the times where it's like, oh, you know, virtual conference rooms and virtual trainings and stuff like that. And that is a good aspect. But I think after COVID and everyone just being stuck behind a Zoom screen, like we got to do stuff more in person. And the, this is just taking this is just taking it away. I actually looked this up too because I remember I remember reading this, but Charlie Brooker, the guy that founded Black Mirror and created it, he's gone. He left um he's working on more comedic stuff. So that shit's gonna change. Um I love how our Apple VR segment has turned into when Black Mirror is releasing, but it is coming out end of June or maybe mid-June at this rate. Um, so we're in it. I, fuck, we're... You know, I don't... I like talking to you about Black Mirror, but every time I talk to you about Black Mirror, I'm like, I just feel so... I feel so shitty after because I'm like, God, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it was fun to watch it. it was fun to watch in college after a few yeah. drinks when we all got together and like could laugh about it now it's like as an adult i don't think i'll watch it i mean i will but i'm definitely gonna watch it <laughs> it's not one of those shows that i'm just like oh you know what do we put it on tonight let's rip black mirror like no, again, it's pretty heavy it, it's pretty i heavy. and I would even say, like, it's, yeah, when it was seven guys living with each other, five of us watch Black Mirror, it's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty fun to do on, like, a, a night. You have a couple beers or what have you, and, you know, you're like, oh, fuck, this will never happen to us. That's fucking crazy. And then, uh, it's not, it's not light. It is, it's not light it's, stuff. It's a little heavy, so... But anyway, VR and Apple. This so Apple's Vision Pro AR and VR headset. Uh, they call it. <laughs> this is from Wirecutter uh, on New York Times. The title is bold, innovative, and ridiculously expensive. And when we say ridiculously expensive, that thing is thirty five hundred bucks retail. And people will buy it. I thought that was a joke. There's financing it. options. I mean, there was like the video of the crowd when they're like introducing the VR. And then like the, the, the amount came out and everyone's like, Pfft. but people will be spending their life savings on this. Didn't um, the guy say like, no, seriously, like, cause people yeah. started to laugh like 500 bucks and he's like, no, serious. It's 3500 One of the weirdest things about this though, and again, we're not talking enough about it, but Apple is very, they do an incredible job with these press conferences and these, these events to release their products. But everybody who has spoke at these events has used the product and sampled it. Tim Cook did not. Wow. If that's, I don't know if, again, the product's not ready. That's because he's a fucking boomer. If it, if it's an old head and stuff. But I thought that was weird and concerning that it's like, he is not wearing the product. So what's, I don't know. I, I, I'm still anti it. And again, are we boomers to be like, oh, you know, this VR headset, like, bring me back the Xbox 360 and the but PS4 it's, stuff like that. Like, I have no, if you want to buy an Oculus Quest, like, dude, go for it. Well, I, I think it's pretty cool. That's my aspect of the, this whole thing. So Apple, I think, killed two businesses in this matter of the conference. I think they're 
going to kill Meta because Meta spent so much money on Oculus and so much advancements. Like, you know, they're talking about having on the Apple headset that you can literally like see apps and like tap tap the air to click on apps where like Meta was literally had that um, that picture of like Mark Zuckerberg as a cartoon next to Paris. Mm. Like it's going to blow meta out of the water and like completely tank their stock because it's like so many people are already apple i mean we've had this conversation we're on macbooks right now we have iphones we have airpods we have all this stuff so i think that's one aspect but two apple came out with the touch to contact now so all of those companies that made those uh those business cards that were like tap for the contact and the qr yeah. codes and stuff are now done Uh, it, it's interesting. And Meta, you talk about them. I like that case because they double down upon Oculus. Yes. But then people forget what they were before Meta. It was just Facebook. And Mark Zuckerberg says, we're going to build the Metaverse. We need to buy and build everything that can help us access. So yes, they double down by getting Oculus, but they also probably sank I don't know what the numbers are offhand, but billions of dollars in building this metaverse. And if it's not the best experience, I don't know shit about the experience in the metaverse, but people are going to go elsewhere. That's what happens with these big tech companies. If it's not, if it doesn't work with all your other shit, you're not going to do it, right? And I think we're high tech people. I would consider us as, you know, technologically accepting, but you know, even still, I'm like, I want all my shit connected, right? Like, I want my I want my computer to tell me when I get a text, you know? And it's so unhealthy, but it's I what people think, want. I think we're just advancing way too fast as a civilization that I think everyone needs to, like, collectively look around and he's like, let's take a time out. Let's, let's go get some fresh air. Let's read paper books. Let's converse. They're, we're doing too much shit that does not need to be happening. Yeah, but you know that shit's not gonna. If happen. I'm sounding like a boomer, call it as call it as it is. But I, I, what are we doing? What are we do? What is? How stupid are you if you're gonna go on a date with a VR headset and That's make these weird. like fantasy lands for yourself and like never be? You will never have to talk to a person for the rest of your life. Hey, that's a business idea for Tinder or Hinge. That's a business idea for dating apps, honestly. You go build a metaverse or you go build some alternate reality for people that don't want to fucking go out and And that's called that market probably enormous. That's called catfishing. And that's why we're at a decline in repopulating all of these countries because people are just going to be sitting on VR dates pretending to be a six foot five jack dude when they're not well let me rephrase you just date in the vr like you live your life in this ar which is kind of weird hey you know what hope all you population control people are happy we need thanos i just <laughs> honestly i'll take the risk of thanos just snapping wow i will we are towing, I'm telling you, we're going down this line of like, this is the most edgy I think we've gone in this show. Like we're talking about population control. We're talking about 
we didn't even go this far deep, like thick of COVID. Like when we're talking about, oh, not to get political, but this I think this is, this is what we're living. This is just stupid. I know. I'm not saying yeah. this was, I'm, I'm saying back then, like that was the most edgy we got. We're like, all right, you know, the election happened. We're not getting political, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is not seen shit. And I don't think it's seen this yet. I don't like it. I don't like it. So I guess we'll get into more controversial stuff and we'll talk about the PPA. As if this is any better. As if this is any, any, any better. Yeah. What the fuck? But before we get into Live Tour and PGA, let's give you a message from our partners over at something Draft more League. more happy. Yes. More happy. Um NBA finals action, which we'll we'll dive into right after our golf talk, but Joining the NBA NBA Finals Action Fund with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can place a $5 bet and score $200 of bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can take a shot at the bigger payouts with DraftKings stepped-up same-gate parlays. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place your stepped-up same-gate parlay by combining three or more bets for any NBA Finals games. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook and use code BBB. New customers that place that $5 bet get to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. That's code BBB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hope is here. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Must be 21 plus. Play it smart from the start with GameSense. Um, physically present in Massachusetts, go to gamesensema.com for more information. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Opt-in 10 plus leg require for 100% boost. Eligibility wagering and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at DraftKings.com slash basketball terms only with code BBB. All right. Uh, the news that shook golf and honestly changed it forever. The PGA Tour has merged with its acrimonious partner, Live Golf, who Commissioner Jay Monahan stood up there all of the year and vigorously did the PGA Tour and said, that is not golf. We need to purity of the game. We cannot sell out, to paraphrase. And I'm sorry, motherfucker, completely backtracked on what he said. There's a few issues with this as a whole. Um, number one, talked about how it was dirty money, talked about brought in 9-11 families to say, do not do business with the Saudis, completely backtracked. Number two, you have all the players, Tiger Woods turned down $800 million, Rory, um, Max Homa, you name it, all of these big guys that you know we're talking about the legacy of the PGA talking about you know the golf that they grew up watching turned down the money to stay with the PGA lost out on that because at the end of the day they could have taken that money chilled for a year set up their generational wealth and then come back to the PGA tour and everything's happy go lucky number 3 changes the golf landscape forever because now are people just going to be like there's no truth behind this. It's now the Saudis have the money that backs the PGA. So they're influencing the entire sport. And also they have the seat at the table to make the decisions that might be going against this whole legacy that was brought up. And I think also the fourth aspect 
is, and I don't know what the truth behind it is, but none of the players, the players found out the same time as we did. Yeah. Um, pretty messed up. For a guy like Rory, that's really fucked up. Because, uh, you know, I, I admittedly, I didn't really, I wasn't a huge fan of Rory until I watched Full Swing, as stupid as and corny as that sounds. What you have to respect about Rory is that he gives a shit. Like, he wants golf to be respected. He knows it's a historical game. He knows that it's at risk if they don't do something, right? But he wants it to be played the right way. So he's – I'd be I, I'd be indescribably pissed if I were him because he could have sold out. He could have got his bag from Liv, but he said, no, I actually give a shit. Like, I'm, I'm going to try to fix stuff. He's on the board of players that helps decide all this stuff, and they're in Monaghan's ear – and I'm sure he had a lot to say to him. And Monahan probably said, great, F you, you know? Big time. I, I I don't know. This is a big victory, though, for the guys that went to live. I mean, like, if I'm Brooks Kepka right now, holy shit. Like, you're guaranteed money. I, they got to work all of that stuff out, by the way. But you have to think, he's got his claim to his money. He can go back to the PGA Tour, play in the Masters and, you know, the, the PGA Championship, which he's won 9 billion times every year. He got his cake and he can eat it too. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it, as a fan, like I'm not the biggest golf fan. Like I watch my couple events a year. You know, I, I, I sprinkle some wagers responsibly on it, um, you know, pretty regularly, but I guess as a as a fan, you got to be happy. But as like a golf purist, whatever that actually means, I think it's shitty. But also, if I'm like a complete outsider, I'd be pissed for the players, and I'd be pissed getting lied to it and barraged by Jay Monahan and the whole PGA being like, you know, they they falter to the money. They they have to now kiss the ring. They have to, you know, listen to Saudi Arabia and listen to the Live Tour because that's essentially i we don't know the the full deals and stuff but they own them this could ruin golf i think so theoretically because the live i don't know how much live you watched i watched a grand total of 30 minutes this year um the ratings were shit on the CW. yeah i turned it off i had to it was like it was a broadcast Oh my God. You don't know what the hell's going on. There's music bumping everywhere. And I hate to be like, Oh, the golf needs to be so quiet. But I mean, like there's something special about like, you know, th there's a, a, like, I think the waste management open in Phoenix is a perfect example of a hybrid, right? It's like, they will roast you and throw shit at you if, on the 16th hole. If you screw up, but it's still a golf tournament and it's not this party. Yeah, it was hard to follow along, and it was also just, like, not very marketed, I would say. Yeah. Like, I never I never knew who won what. I didn't know what any of that meant. Like, you know when someone wins some of these big tournaments, and it's everywhere. I don't know who won what at Live. I just know everyone was getting paid. I just yeah. know if you finished, like, 25th, you were still making more than someone winning, you know, anything. All right, all your money is guaranteed with Liv, and then you get the kicker bonuses and stuff. Um, I don't know. They had teams. 
and live, which I is think another team, stupid I, concept. I, I I don't think team golf can last on a regular calendar year. I think it's like it's good for some small stuff, like the Ryder Cup's like cool because it builds some hype around it. Maybe a few events a year, but I mean, unless you're like strapping a GoPro and doing like four man scramble, like it just doesn't make sense to me. I agree. So I don't know I, again, what what live will do to change the PGA now now that it's merged. And that's a thing. The other angle here is with Monahan and the and the he Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour. When there were talks to live, there were a lot of talks about 9-11, right? And a lot of the families had said, that had spoke up. You know, there's a, a lot of coalitions of 9-11 families. You know, I, I'm pretty sure John Stewart is fairly involved in that as well now. Uh, but I think it's more on the first responder side. Um, And they got real pissed, as they should have, because they had a voice in all of that before and Monahan sat with them and spent a lot of time with them last year. And they said, you know, Hey, we get it. Money's money is money. And you have a business to run, but this is how we're in. And he sat there and listened and he said, Hey, I've got an open mind to these things. Um, and the early reports right now are that with this negotiation, he cut them out entirely. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I generally don't like to sit here from my chair and say people should step down or resign or get fired, but I don't know. The facts are looking pretty bad right now, if that's truly the case. Yeah, they, they again, don't know how much truth behind it. I'm excited for Full Swing Season 2 because supposedly they were doing some filming and there's going to be some great coverage for it. That can't come soon enough, but yeah, what a what a terrible terrible way to handle this on all aspects and I'm, I'm waiting for tiger to say something yeah i i need to know what he has to say and i'm sure it'll be sort of like hey this ain't this ain't good you know because didn't they offer him like an egregious amount too it was like, like 800 million? million yeah it was like crazy he's already worth so much but to double your net worth yeah, I'm sure Phil Mickelson loves it every second of this right now. Hey, and you know what? He's in the same position as everyone else now, just hundreds of millions of dollars richer. I I I feel that. I just can't stand Phil. Um I'm furious for this 9-11 coalition though. 9-11 families united. Um I'm furious. I'm furious for them. And again, I'm not here to dictate, you know, what, if people should associate with other government entities. That's not, that's not my issue with this. I'm not saying they should not be doing business with Saudis. I'm saying that, that as the commissioner of a pro sports league, you have to at least tell those people. And that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. I wonder if there'll be a boycott for the PGA. I think there should be. Could be. Is it, yeah, I need to see the rule changes. Yeah. I need to see what the rule changes are going to be like before we, we get down there. If they say all bets are off, you get paid, everybody gets paid, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, so that's golf. Um, I don't know. I don't really know what to expect. Uh, I hope this doesn't ruin the Masters. I hope this does not ruin 
my home state travelers championship. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. Uh, who knows what it does? Who knows? At least we can keep placing futures on golf uh, for the time being on DraftKings Sportsbook. All's right in the world. Um. All right, let's go to the uh, let's let's do the NBA Finals first. They they've been more in tune. Um. First of all, I'm very glad Miami won a game. I'm very glad they won one on the road because that makes things a lot more interesting here. So as we're recording this, it looks like Denver's going to lock it up. It'll be 2-1. And then, uh, you know, are we... I don't know. I was originally thinking like Denver in five. I would now be willing to say Denver in six, but... Um, we're just seeing how good Jokic is. Like this dude is absolutely unbelievable. I did not watch any of the Western Conference uh entire bracket, honestly. I didn't really watched LeBron at all, which I'm probably gonna regret, but this guy is just a generational talent. Yeah, I wouldn't count the heat out just yet. I think that you know they can try to get it done, but Jokic is just I mean, that guy is something else. It's He's he's changing what it means to be a big, but he's also just doing stuff that we really haven't seen before. Um, and Denver's just a very sound team. I mean, Jamal Murray's finally getting his flowers. Um, I, I think Jamal Murray is a, when healthy, a top tier guard in the league, and he does not get enough respect as he as he gets. Yeah, look at his last couple nights. I mean. 18 a couple nights ago, 26, 25, 37, 37, 31, 26. And that's his last couple of weeks. I mean, my thing is, how do you defend against Jokic? 32 points, 21 effing rebounds, 10 assists. And that's like effortless for this dude. He goes seven for eight from the free throw line. He sank a three. He had two blocks. I mean, he turns the ball over and fouls a lot, but I think that's very true to the point that he's revolutionizing the big. Again, I didn't think it would happen again. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, this this dude can absolutely do it all. And I think I said top five active. I think he's probably top two active. Probably, Maybe one. Probably. I mean, I don't count out Miami yet. Don't count him out. Yeah. I, still, I mean, I still believe in the Florida duo, but it's I I, I uh, doesn't look like it's happening. Doesn't look like it's happening. That's why I played my cards. I didn't did both. That's fair. What's Jimmy Butler doing this series? See, oh yeah, he's, he's doing pretty well. It's just such a talent gap. But again, I, I think a person that uh, a person that doesn't get enough respect is Eric Spolstra, and we've we've said this before. You don't think it's enough? I think he's getting. I think he's getting his. Now he is. Yeah. I, well, I feel like that's a heat in general, and I guess it's synonymous with him, but every year it's like, oh, you know, whatever. The Heat will do what they do, and they're, they're probably not going to go too far. <laughs> it's like, what are we going to learn? They've been there how many times? Seven times over the past uh, 10 years that they've been in the conference finals or something like that? I don't know. It's some crazy stat. I mean, still, though, for the team that they have, like, 
yes, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are both all-stars, and you have, you know, Kyle Lowry coming off the bench. But other than that, I mean, on paper, this team would be abysmal at best. But, you know, now guys are going to get paid and, you know, they need to attract some more talent and solidify some of the gaps. But Miami is a, is a destination that can blossom into such a flourishing team. And I, I truly think it's all because of Eric Spolster and Pat Riley. Oh, definitely. Look at the history behind, like, Spolstra was one of those guys that people doubted. Like, how is he going to replace Pat Riley, right? And Pat Riley, people forget, went 15 and 67 the year before he hung it up. I don't think Spolstra's only had two losing records in all of his years in 2008. He's only had two losing records. Makes you think. Makes it's good games, man. D Wade, LeBron, Walt Deng had uh <laughs> what's the top uh highest wind share? generator was Luol Deng one year that's fucking crazy and Kelly Olenek the year after nuts yeah I mean Spolstra is a guy that uh, yeah, I think he's a shoe in for the Hall of Fame once he once he hangs it up I think he probably needs I mean he's got two rings is that enough two rings and all of that fame probably this is off topic, but I'm I'm perusing Twitter because I was looking for some hockey talk and more um, um, finals talk. But uh, Dov Kleiman, he goes, uh, Saudi Arabia could potentially acquire an NFL team in the future. After talking to an NFL team president, reporter Albert Breer speculates that it's not out of line to consider the idea that a Saudi that the Saudis will buy an NFL team. Oh, good lord! I hope that's bullshit. I mean, there's no way Al Breer believes that. Fuck. He's usually right about that stuff. Well, if you think about it, like the commander sold for $6 billion and that franchise has been dead for decades. Um, Not dead, but just not, you know, do I think that it was. Was not? it's at the point where like teams don't come you know, aren't available that often. And like when they do, you know, there's not that many billionaires. Yeah. And a lot of the teams are obviously generational teams. Like the Pirates will never sell. That's in the family business. Same with the Reds. Obviously the Yankees is a family business, but like, you know, what if the Lakers ever come available? They might. Who knows? Genie, uh, Genie pawns it off, and that's like you got to imagine that's at least twelve billion. Uh, prop. Yeah, uh, it's. I'm sure it's up there. Didn't we talk about this a couple weeks ago? What, what we talked about like before? valuations, but like that doesn't mean you know you got to buy. You still got to you got to pay. Seven billion, six and a half. Yeah, but I don't think they're. I think they're to buy it. It have to be more. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He'd probably, so they'd probably sell it at eight. I still think that's too low. It's insane. How the fuck do you piece together this money too? You're right. There's like all things considered, like there's a short list of people who have that. And it's certainly not like cash. It's, it's, 
it's all this other shit it's houses it's cars it's i don't i don't understand the sports ownership market and like i i doesn't make sense. just a lot of other people's money i feel like it's all just vcs that or no it's like uh it's big banks that they have all this cash and they're like yeah we'll just invest all this cash that other people have i mean that part i get because you go to these venture capitalists and you go to these uh these hedge funds they're sitting on this multi-billion dollar like hundreds of billions of dollars in just other people's cash and they have to grow it somehow so they're just like fuck it let's but it's an, sports team. it's an investment that's not like, you know, it's not a safe investment. And it's no, like, it's it's pretty risky. You got to dump so much money to like, you know, do anything. It's very capital intensive because they run at insanely high opexes, I'm sure. I mean, you look at the team like the Yankees that used to be, oh, they used to buy everything. They're running their numbers. Yeah. Or the Dodgers or everybody. The only team that's not are the Padres and look what the Padres are doing. They're trash. Yeah. What are the Padres? So now the Saudis might buy an NFL team. Interesting. The Padres are. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut on the on that because the Padres are 29 and 33. What in the valuation you're talking about? No, just record. I'm saying how. I'm saying. You're, yeah, you're talking about their record, but like we're talking about their valuation being so high, even though they're not great. Yeah. They've got a lot of money to spend. It's for damn sure. A lot of money to spend. Not a lot. Not a lot. Doing not doing a lot. No. And then Tatis rot. Yeah. Um you're gonna bring up hockey, which is another interesting point here. That series is 2 0 Vegas right now. Clean sweep by Vegas. I think, yeah, I'm I'm a little worried for Florida because Vegas is so good on the road. They've been really good this playoff on the road. They've outscored, uh, they've doubled their opponent's scoring output. I think it was 32 to 16 coming into the series. So I think you can, I think their luck's run out. It sucks because, and I don't think it was luck. Let me rephrase. I think they are very good, the Florida Panthers. And honestly, I want them to win. Um, but they, the Vegas just handled was right. Every single word that handled said was right last week. They're they're just too good. They're too deep. They have too good of a defender. Their goalie's young and and tentative, but he's he doesn't need to make too many big stops. And that's what I think this is coming down to. Just like Vegas is outpacing Florida and just about everywhere. They're way, way, way too deep for them. And Bruce Cassidy is going to win a Stanley Cup at one year after being canned. Crazy, crazy how it works. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, do you see any other way forward other than a other than a sweep here? Because like I could uh, see Florida taking one at this point. I think, Florida, I think Florida takes one. I think you and I both said Knights and six. Yeah. And I I stand by that. I think that could still happen, but the way they're playing right now, holy shit. Nobody's being that team. Yeah, no, they're uh they are a wagon. 
They are a wagon. That sucks. Yeah, I, I like Vegas. I think they're good. I'm happy that Jack Eichel's going to get his ring, but what could have been Bruce Cassidy? Damn. And with Florida this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll stand I'll stand by Vegas and six, though, still. I, I'm going to revise to Nuggets. I think we'll do it in – Nuggets will do six as well. I'm more confident about that than Vegas. Yeah, uh, both in six, five – is not out of the question. I agree. Uh, what else? That's balls. I don't have uh, I don't have much else. Loaded freaking news cycle this week, people. Loaded. Uh, oh, Chris Paul. Are we going to talk about that or what? We talked about that at the beginning of the show, but <laughs> do you have any further? I mean, I don't. It just sucks to see this dude that we grew up with now getting fucking cut. After he was like, I'm bringing a championship to Phoenix. Well, tough shit. I, crazy enough, kind of wants uh, Chris Paul as the sixth man for the Knicks. I He was the sixth man for the Knicks in a former franchise in 2K for me. Yeah. I, I, and I did win the title with him. I think it would be, I think that'd be cool. Um, you know, it sucks, especially like the Suns are in such a weird sp- spot because they, I mean, their window is now. You have to, you have prime book and like Kevin Durant still like at a very high caliber level. You need to win now. And the West is not easy. So CP3, I mean, again, he's no, he's not Kyle Lowry level, but, or sorry, Kyle Lowry's not CP3 level, but Kyle Lowry also has a ring. Um, Lowry's good. He's serviceable right now. Like he could have started on probably half the teams. He took a backseat approach. So I I mean, this is where things could start getting crazy because the whole Mav situation, where um, Kyrie wants to one stay with the Mavs, two facilitate facilitate LeBron coming to Dallas. Draymond Green can opt out of his thing, and he's been LeBron's biggest water carrier the whole season. Um, LeBron has never played with his good buddy Chris Paul because that was, you know, could that could that be a little, you know, crew coming together? I think it's a pipe dream. I don't think it's out of the question. I think that's, I I, I mean, one the Mavs invested a lot into getting Kyrie so I think and again I don't think uh, I think Kyrie as a person is a crazy man but you know he is a very talented player and like it takes a while in the NBA for things to gel you have to do what you can to bring Kyrie back um you have too much invested and it's like you gotta you know get Luca some players he needs well i mean it sounds like mark cuban wants to do that too like it sounds like he he he's not dumb like he he's he knows that that's going to be a really stupid decision to let Kyrie walk. Yeah. So again, the next part of the equation is getting LeBron James there where I don't think a trade's possible. I think if anything, LeBron's going to try to facilitate a buyout if that's the case. So he goes there. Someone's got to take a cut in money. Draymond would probably go on a very cheap deal and, and Chris Paul would have to go like, I mean, 
it, it this is going to reset the 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 financials again. I mean, I could see CP3 going to the Dallas on a vet min. Uh yeah. Just to try to catch a ring. Because that's up that's all Chris Paul needs. And it doesn't I, I I don't think it matters how he gets it. He needs a ring. He does. It it would be a damn shame if he retired without a ring. I mean, I was surprised Mello did. Heartbreaking that Mello did. I agree. Yeah, I thought Mello was going to try to run it back somewhere. He but... got blackballed. He's, yeah, could, it sounded like it. He could still play. Because he was with Portland, and then where else did he go? Lakers. Oh, yeah, true. The Lakers super team that never was. Yeah. It's crazy. I I hope the best for CP3. He's, he's a tremendous person. A We grew up with him, right? And it would suck if that's how his career ended, without a ring. Yeah. Yes, it would. Uh, that's all I've got. Um, Aaron Judge is on the IL for a toe injury. <laughs> Yankees, man, I, I'm, I'm not panic button yet because like the rest of the league, like the MLB is weird this year. The MLB is weird. Like the Diamondbacks and the Pirates are like top of the table, and the Yankees had a very good West Coast series. I mean. They scored like 10 runs back-to-back against the Mariners. They took two of three from the Dodgers. Like it was all said and well, but I'm at the point with this Yankees team where I don't care what happens at the end of the season, championship or not, which I still think this team can win a championship, oddly enough, because like the talent's not there necessarily. Fire the fucking entire staff. Oh my, everybody. This, (laughs) it, it, it goes from... The training staff can't keep anybody healthy. Okay. Aaron Boone, I love how he fights for his players. And, you know, I still think he's a solid manager. He can't manage the pitching staff because, like, Nestor Cortez is, like, faltering. It's like Nestor Cortez can't pitch three times through. Um, The bullpen has been a question mark. And... I mean, the guy's getting ejected for like crazy shit sometimes, but it's also like, just like Aaron Boone is like the biggest, like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with judge. You know, we're going to give him some extra caution. IL. Yeah. You know, Harrison Bader, like he's dealing with some stuff, but he'll be all right. IL. It's like, just call it how the fuck it is. It sucks that these guys are hurt, but like, just call it how it is. Stop being just waiting. And then Brian Cashman, I'm sorry. I know he just signed an extension and he won't go anywhere, but last year's trade deadline, useless. Useless. And I and I think Harrison Bader is the best out of the best player out of the bunch, but he can't stay healthy. Yeah. Like, what he's what the Yankees are doing, like Anthony Volpe, like he's young. Give him a chance. Like his bat's solid. I don't think it's time to like do anything egregious yet, but like Oswald Peraza, Peraza needs to be playing on this Yankee club. He is not a minor league player. He needs to be playing third base. DJ LeMahieu, what happened to your swing? What? Why are you striking out all of a sudden? Where is our left fielder? IKF, again, solid depth piece, but now he's literally – the starting outfield right now with Aaron Judge hurt is like IKF, IKF at left, Bowers and Billy McKinney in center. Yeah. And, and Willie Calhoun at right. Like that is not – that is that is 
egregious. And I don't care how much those guys make because it's like, I think like five players make like a combined 6 million and like, they're all producing better than like Andrew Benatendi. So I guess like Cashman was right on not overpaying for him. But still we are the New York goddamn Yankees. Give me Cody Bellinger and left. (laughs) Give me, I need something. I need, I need something. I can see them going. I, I thought you were full of crap. Like, a couple months ago, and now I think Bellinger to the Yankees is getting some steam. Yeah. Give me Bellinger. Give me Jock Peterson. Give me a name that is a rental. I don't care. I'm all set on Jock Peterson, though. I'm all set. He's a lefty bat. Give me give me Cody Bellinger. That's what I want. He's playing well. I think he's, what, a 270 average or something? And That's Brian fine. Cashman has a number on the Cubs. He does. If you think about it, I mean – he created he was the mastermind behind the best trade the cubs have ever made in the past decade or so which was Aroldis Chapman For it was basically course. yeah it was the Torres trade and everybody won cubs got their ring yankees got a guy that's still playing second and you know will hop in at short every now and then who's and glaber's turned a corner he's a two-time all-star with a good bat yeah. and that's what i hate about like I hate about Yankees Twitter where they're just like, well, we just need to trade Glaber and have Volpe and Peraza as like the middle of the infield. It's like I was I was on that train though, I will say last year. I'm not on it anymore. No. When Glaber Torres is hot, he's one of the best hitters on the team and he's so much better at second. And he's a cornerstone of this team. And you you're not gonna overpay him. No. No. Serviceable, good, good bat. Halfway decent defense. He will make an error every now and then, but yeah. What what needs to happen is like in a perfect world, Anthony Rizzo's at first, Glaber's at second, Volpe's at short. I still think he's, I think this team needs to bring in a marquee third baseman. Your bench is then DJ LeMahieu, which will play everywhere. And it's not necessarily a bench piece. He's like the guy's going to start all across the diamond. Uh, Oswald Peraza and Oswaldo Cabrera, and then enter your catcher. Who should be Austin Wells? That's your bench. <laughs> <Already. laughs> no, no, I'm just saying well, it doesn't have to be this year, but like next year, that's your bench. Fuck that. Give me Mickey Gasper, Brian Legend. Austin Wells is better. He's in 188 in Scranton, so maybe not just yet. Yeah. Um, but I guess like again, with all the Yankee struggles in their stand, they're still a decent team. Alec Manoa got DFA'd <laughs> to the Florida Complex League. The guy is in rookie ball. So I think it was what you just wrote the blog one in seven since he called Garrett Cole a cheater. Did I remember that correctly? And Garrett Cole seven and up. Yep. Double the amount of strikeouts, uh, half the ERA. Actually, no, almost two to two X more than less than the ERA. How bad do you have to be that your club just looks at you and says like, you need to go back to your basic mechanics and you're not coming back up until you figure it out. He let up six runs to nine batters against the Astros in the first inning and got pulled. Yeah, I think, what did he record? One out? One out. Ugh. It's bad. So, and again, I don't wish anything worse on people, but like the Blue Jays, between like all of their bullshit of like calling the Yankees cheaters and crying about the Aaron Judge situation like weeks after. You yeah, a manager calling somebody a fat boy. I don't know who yeah, it was. Like, Kick rocks. Kick rocks. I, I like this, though. I'm okay with a little bit of uh, 
with a little bit of controlled chaos. Um, because I can't stand the Blue Jays. So I'm okay with watching them suffer a little bit. With the amount of shit they've talked, whatever. You want to talk with the big boys, you got to hang with them. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, baseball is just weird. Like, the Orioles, good for them. They're overperforming, but they have a solid team. Um, the AL Central is a joke. Like, the Twins are 31-31 and 31 in first place. They have the same record as the last place Red Sox. Um, the yeah, Rangers yeah. are overperforming. The Rangers have a very good team. Sucks about DeGrom because I think the game is so much better when he's pitching on the diamond. I know. Um, but they have a five-game lead over to the Astros. Um, the Mets, obviously, very much underperforming. Same with the Phillies. The Pirates are being a surprise team coming out of nowhere. The Cardinals are dead last, which they should not be. I was shocked when I saw that. I think they are the set oh they are the worst team in the nl uh they're tied with washington that's, that's embarrassing crazy. that's crazy but um, they're not even close to the 14 and 50 oakland days yeah no that team is there and what's crazy about like the a's is like i don't even know if they have like parts to trade for nor would i ever do a trade again with the a's because i don't think they do who would you uh, would you take from this team, fucking Astori Ruiz? Maybe I think he's, he's like a... the only valuable piece on that squad. I guess Loriano. Like Ramon Loriano's had a good career. What's he doing this year? Uh, two twenty six. That's not great. Five homers. No, that's it. It's not that great. But you got to think, dude. JP Sears is their best pitcher, and he has a four twenty ERA. They have. This is so funny. They have so many former Yankees on this. I was, just, I was literally just going to say that. J.P. Sears, James Waldachuk, remember him? Yeah, Ken Waldachuk, Luis Medina. Yeah, Medi- oh. I forgot about Luis Medina. Yeah. Caprillion, too. He was, uh, I'm pretty sure he was a Sunny Grade piece. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this team is just weird. What's Sears doing? Sears is, yeah, he's 420, 0-3. Hey, good for him. He's a 110 whip. It's not too bad. Paul Black for him. Trash. I, I liked Sears when he was there. Yeah. I mean, this this pitching staff is atrocious. You got a lot of double-digit ERAs here. 1157. Well, not double digits, but like over five. Over five. Um, who's actually like, is anyone who has the best batting average? Is there? Probably Ruiz. No. I don't know. It's um Rooker with 263. Yeah, and then there's this Jonah Bride kid. I guess he's the only um Brent Brent Rooker left fielder. 263, 12 home runs, 36 RPIs, 868 OPS. He'll probably get traded. But like who <laughs> if I'm a team, I, I'm not gonna like I'll say like, yeah, I'll give you like somebody shitty for Brent Rooker. And if that if that's the case, like why would the A's even bother? You know who was on this team? Speaking of former Yankees, not anymore, but Tyler Wade was on this team. Yeah, where's is he uh San Francisco or I don't know where Angels? Maybe he was with the Blue Jays. Why am I or am I making that up? Where is he now? Tyler Wade is um Freak. he still is with the A's. Wow. Are he still with the A's? Yeah. Um he only played 10 games. He also dated Alex Earl. 
he's the reason Alex Rowe got famous. <laughs> she talked about like this MLB boyfriend that like wouldn't post on her Instagram. And it was Tyler freaking Wade. It was fucking Tyler Wade. <laughs> the promise of New York. It was that and Clint Frazier. They roomed together. Clint Frazier made a, an appearance on uh at the with the White Sox. I, I did see that. Or is it Clint Jackson? Jackson Frazier? I don't know. No, there was uh he was just with some team. Was it not the White Sox? No, he was he was a pinch runner at the White Sox Yankees game the other day. Oh, Clint was at Yankee Stadium? Wow. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, he deserved a shot, but I think we're too far gone there. That sucks to hear, but... Yeah, baseball's weird. Baseball's a super weird sport this year. So, I don't know what the hell's going to happen in the Central. It could be anybody. Both Central, yeah. I don't know. It's too early to tell. I mean, the Yankees will, everyone will be healthy. And Cashman will say, look at our midseason acquisitions. We got Carlos Radon. We have um, Aaron Judge back. John I already Curry. forgot about Radon, to be honest. He actually, he threw a bullpen game, or he threw against live batters today. There's that conspiracy theory that his wife might have spilled that he's just taking his time coming back because he wants them to work their issues out first. What is like she? the team, not his wife. Oh. Honestly, like, and when, he made the comment back in, uh, I guess when he like first got hurt, he goes, you, you didn't pay me for April. You paid me for October. I, I respect it. I, I get that. I like honestly, that honestly, the Yankees, as long as they're a playoff team and you get Carlos Rodon back for the fall, a healthy rested Carlos Rodon. Because that how that's what happened year after year. Like Garrett Cole is a very dominant pitcher, but his wheels fall off towards the end. Yeah, I I'm liking. Uh, I I hope Radon shapes out. I think he'll be fine. I need Nestor to get fixed. Um, but there has been some like good upturns where it's like Anthony Rizzo has been a very a solid hitter. You know, Volpe's getting better. Uh, Josh Donaldson. Came back from the I.L. and he hit, you know, three home runs, so. R.I.P. to the Mets. R.I.P. to the Mets. Losing record. You know, R.I.P. to the Phillies, too. Yeah, that team is, that's the problem. Right after they extended Rob Thompson. That'll be fine. Again. That'll be okay. We're talking. They're hurting without Hoskins. we're, we're, We're talking first half baseball and, like, the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals both came back on historic, historic levels to after starting crappy. So, yeah, uh, only- it, was a, it was a team all cut to Philly some slack. They didn't have Bryce Harper for a good month and a half. Reese Hoskins ain't coming back this year. He might not come back at all because he's a free agent. Um, yeah, we'll figure it out. They'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, if Bryce, yeah. Bryce playing some first. Yeah, they might have to. Shit. Bryce and Schwarber alternating, platooning off. What a world. I love Kyle Schwarber. I wish the Yankees had a guy like him. No one listens. I want it. God, that was awful. (laughs) The Red Sox got him. Not good. God, that was like, 
just you already had the Cubs connection. Just bring it in. Just bring it in. Cubs oh. are a great trading partner. They we've had so many good win-win trades with the Cubs these past 10 years. God, I wanted, I wanted Kyle. That was like again, being a Yankee fan, I know everyone will say it's like you guys just buy players and it's like pipe dreams and stuff, but it's like getting an Anthony Rizzo, who like on my mind's like. I didn't even consider a target. Like I was like, Hey, Chris Bryant's the guy, but we get Anthony Rizzo. That just was like, wet the beak. And then there's always like players where it's like, yeah, you predict it and they get it. You know, I said, Andrew Benatendi, I said, Joey Gallo, you know, I said guys like that and and it's, it's come to fruition, but then there's guys where it's like, damn, like Kyle Schwarber is right in reach. Like that needs to happen. I'm telling you, the writing was on the wall. I just looked. I Luis Castillo. Yeah. Luis yeah. Castillo should have been a Yankee. We talk. We started the show with ranking things with AI, and now I'm going to end it with ranking things with AI. I just asked ChatGPT to give me the best three most recent. Uh, it was the best three trades the Yankees have made with the Cubs in the last ten years. Roldis Chapman was a great one. Alfonso Soriano. People forget late stage Alfonso Soriano where he gave like a year or two after the prime of his career and was still really good in 2013 and the Starlin Castro Starlin Castro Starlin Castro turned into Giancarlo Stanton yeah and I like Starlin Castro I did I liked him a lot um <laughs> and we gave the Yankees gave them Adam Warren and got him right back got him right back and then Adam Warren appears three times in this. It's so funny. The, so the Yankees sent Warren for Castro. Warren goes, <laughs> Warren gets sent back to, gets sent back to New York with the Chapman trade in 2016. Oh, just a fucking masterclass. And then they get Chapman back, too. It's like the Cubs get their rentals. They got their World Series out of it. And that's it. That's all they wanted. Um, Could have just worked it out for Schwarber. Well, I was asking ChatGBT about trade deadline deals, but they, like, couldn't answer the question. So I said, best MLB trades that happened during the season. And they said, Pedro Martinez to the Red Sox. Yeah. When the when the Expos traded him, obviously. Mary Manny Ramirez to the Red Sox from the Indians. Um, you know, those guys both helped them one in 2004. CC Sabathia to the Brewers. Oh. That's when he won his Cy Young. Like it. David Price to the Blue Jays. Um, helping them reach the postseason for the first time in 22 years in 2015. And Yoenis Cespedes to the Mets in 2015. Yeah, I remember that trade. Yeah, helped them reach the World Series. Yeah, they didn't win. Kansas City won, but... But alas, they made it. Yep. AI. We started it and closed it with it. And we're still not having our AI episode yet. <laughs> we gotta get someone from, like, NVIDIA to come on and be like, listen, dude, just tell us how this shit works. Yeah. Crazy shit. All right. That is episode uh, 132. Thanks to Derek Correa for coming on. So long, everybody. Take it easy.
Thanks for listening. Remember to hit the follow button on Spotify and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram and check out house-enterprise.com for all of our content. There's also no better way to end this podcast than a note from our partners over at Manscaped. What guy or girl wouldn't want the right tools for the job? Head over to manscaped.com house or use the code house at checkout for 20% off and free shipping on your orders. See you next time and remember, the house always wins.